Well, hey, good morning. Hey, do me a favor. If you work in the medical field in any way, shape, or form, would you please stand up right now? Um, we want to first thank you, and then we want to pray for you. So can you do that? If you are a nurse, a dentist, a doctor uh, in intake, um, if you work in a hospital, please stand. And, um, you know, I know that, that it is a unique field, and it comes with unique challenges. So would it be okay if I pray for all of you right now? Um, stay standing while I pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm just so thankful for the uh, lives in this room who you have called um, to uh, be part of your healing hands in this world and in our community. And God, I would just echo the prayers of Jeff's. God, would you protect their families? Would you protect um, just their hearts and their minds as they deal with the stress of illnesses and dealing with patients and um, making really important decisions? And God, you are um, the ultimate healer. And how cool is it that you partner with us, you partner with people, and you have allowed um, the grace of technology to advance to allow us to live healthy lives and to be healed from illnesses. And God, um, you're behind all of it. So God, I just pray for these people. I pray for their families. I pray that they know that when they come into work and when they meet with people that they're representing you and they're doing your work to bring healing to our community. We're so thankful for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you guys may have a seat. How are you all doing today? Good? Good. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles that will get a copy of God's word to you. And we've been in this series that's called A Church for Monday. And what we're really kind of zeroing in on and focusing in on is how do we glorify God with our life, not just when we gather together here as the church, but then when we go out and live the rest of our lives, Monday through Saturday, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a representative of God himself? Who are we called to be? And we're actually getting near the end of this series. We're going to be in it this week and next week, and then we're already going to start gearing our hearts up for Easter. Uh, Believe it or not, that's kind of coming up already, and I'm excited for our Easter uh, series. It's going to be great, but what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next two weeks focusing on one issue, and it's an issue that's super relevant. It's super practical. Actually, I would say I get asked about this a lot from individuals, and there's a lot of confusion about this issue, and what I want to talk for the next two weeks about is what is God's will for your life? We're going to talk about what is the will of God for us, that when we were created and we know that God is sovereign and he's in control and he has plans, and how does God's will impact the decisions I make, and how do I know what God's will is, can I know what God's will is, and how do we go about understanding that? And as I preach about this, I get a little bit nervous, because I think when Christians talk about the will of God... Um, We tend to talk about it like we do the question, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And it's like this thing that it's cool to think about and it's cool to, to, to maybe argue about, but maybe it's not super practical in our lives. Or it's a, the question like, man, what did it mean for God to exist in eternity before time or heaven or creation even began? It's like we can think about that and we can wrestle with it, but day to day, that doesn't have a ton of practical value in our lives. And my fear is, is that when we think about God's will, it's like, man, I wonder what God's will is. It'd be cool to know what God is doing and what his will for me is, but I don't know, and so I don't really know what to do. And what I'm going to try to convince you of this morning, and the big idea is this, that God's will isn't just a philosophical pursuit, but it's a road to walk on. God's will isn't just a philosophical pursuit, it's a road to walk on, that God's will for your life, first of all, that you can and you should know what God's will for your life is. 
that God has revealed that to us in his word, that, that we can understand it and, and that it impacts our lives in very real and practical ways. So here's the good news. If you're here this morning and you're wondering about what God's will for your life is, by the end of this morning, you're going to have an idea of what that looks like. So let's jump into the text. Look at verse 15. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus and he says this, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. All right, so Paul starts us off with a warning. He says, listen, make the best use of your days. Be careful. Examine how you walk because the days are evil. Well, what does he mean when he says the days are evil? All right. Paul isn't talking about like a zombie apocalypse. Paul isn't saying, hey, the government's out to get you. So gather your assault rifles and your canned beans and head down to the bunker. Right. That's not what he's talking about. So if you're doing that, please stop. I would ask you. It's not that the days are out to get us, but here's what he's saying. He's saying the reality is, is that we live in a world that even though Jesus is victorious over sin, Satan, and death, that until he returns for the final time, he still allowed Satan to have authority over this world. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. And so we live in a culture that is under the authority of the enemy. And what Paul is saying is that all of us are being discipled each and every day by a culture, by a world that is sprinting away from God. So I was doing some math this week and um, 24 hours in a day, that means there's 168 hours in a week. And let's just assume for a second that all of us get eight hours of sleep every night. That means we're sleeping 56 hours a week. So that means we have 112 hours where we're awake during the week. All right, so let's say that you come to church. That's two hours. Let's say that you go to small group. That's another two hours, give or take. And let's say you go, uh, you know, the extra mile and you even, you're in a Bible study too. And that's another two hours. So six of those hours is spent intentionally being discipled by the church or by people in your life or by God's word. And that means the other 108 hours were being discipled by a culture that's preaching a very, very different message. This is why Paul's saying, be careful, right? We live in a culture that says, do what makes you feel good. That the end goal of our life is to feel happy all the time. If somebody challenges you or disrespects you, get right back in their face. Challenge them back. Let everyone know how bad of a person they are and what they've done to hurt you. Don't submit to authority. Don't forgive. Cut out the negative people in your life. Don't be patient. Don't endure with people. Live for yourself. You exist for you, not to serve others. Joy is found in success, love, sex, being fulfilled, whatever that thing is. This is what our world preaches us. And Paul is saying is, is we need to be careful and pay attention to how we live because if we turn our minds off and are just on autopilot going through life, we're gonna end up looking way more like our culture than we will Jesus because we've gotta live in our culture every single day. That's the warning. Then look at verse 17. He says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, listen, don't, don't live as fools, but understand God's will for your life. So what he's saying is, is you can know what God's will is. 
And what I want to do right now is I want to take a moment, and rather than jumping right into what it is, because Paul's going to explain that in the coming verses, I want to talk about two things God's will is not, because I think we bring in a lot of wrong views on God's will, and there's some wrong views of God's will I've got to disarm before we can talk about what God's will is. So I want to talk about two wrong views of God's will. Here's the first one. The first wrong view of God's will is that it's a dot that I have to find. I think a lot of people believe this, that, that, that God's will for my life, it's this super, super specific thing, and, and I've got to discover what it is. And I've got to live in the right town, in the right state, and in that town, I've got to live in the right subdivision, and I've got to be in the right neighborhood, and I have to have the right house on the neighborhood, and that house has to be the exact perfect color, and if I don't get all of these things right, my life is ruined. That it's this very, very specific thing that if I mess up, my life will no longer have meaning and everything will be ruined. It's kind of like a destiny. We believe that God has this destiny for us that we've got to find. And once we find this destiny, then everything's going to make sense and everything's going to come together and everything's going to be easy. And we're going to see this in a few minutes, but here's what I would argue, that God is way more concerned about who you're becoming along the journey than the final destination. It's not about where we land, it's about who we're becoming along the way. And I want to talk about two reasons why this is a wrong view of God's will. Here's the first one. Um, We're not robots, and we can make decisions that will affect and impact our life. And so in order for us to understand God's will, we have to understand that there's this tension in Scripture between God's sovereignty, which means that God is totally in control and that he's all-knowing and that he's all-powerful, and that the Scripture also says that we have responsibility and we have a will. And there's this tension in Scripture between God's sovereignty and human will that we have to wrestle with. We believe that God is in control. He knows everything. He exists outside of time. His plans will not fail. He's ultimately in control. But here's the problem. Some people take that truth and they get really fatalistic with it. And it's like, well, if God's predetermined everything anyways, and if whatever God says is going to happen, why do anything at all? right? Why pray? God's already made up his mind. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Why pray? Hey, why follow the Lord? If I sin, that's on God because he predetermined it. So we live in this space where there's no responsibility on us. Everything bad that happens in the world or in our life, it's not our fault. It's God's fault. And we are just these powerless, mindless robots that don't relate to God in any way. It's an extreme view of God's sovereignty. We can become fatalistic, but here's the thing. Jesus teaches multiple times in the Gospels that we will give an account for how we lived and the decisions we make, that God has given us authority over things and put us in charge of things, and that we're going to stand before him and give an account for how we lived our lives. Well, can I ask you this question? If it's all predetermined anyways, why is it fair for us to stand before God if we have no say in the matter? It doesn't make any sense. The very fact that Paul is saying we need to understand what the will of the Lord is means that that we can know it and that we can walk in it or we can walk outside of God's will. And I can see some of your eyes glazing over right now as I talk about this. This is kind of hard to understand. So I'm going to give a really, really practical analogy to try to help make sense of this. I want to talk about my daughter, Ashley. Um, Ashley is nine years old. And so here's the question. Do you believe that God knows who my daughter Ashley will marry someday? 
How many of you believe that God knows who that um, little boy is, is that Ashley's going to marry someday? I believe that too. And by the way, I pray for that young boy. I pray that he moves very far away and he never meets my daughter. I'm praying for him every single day. Like, I, I believe God knows who it is, that, that, that that's in God's plan. God exists outside of time and he knows, all right? But listen, I don't believe that Ashley has a soulmate and that there's only one boy out there in the universe that could ever love her well or that she could ever love, that there's only one person that would give her a fulfilling and happy and joyful life and she's gotta figure out who that person is or else she's outside of God's will and the rest of her life is ruined and it's a train wreck. Here's what I believe, that God and his sovereignty is going to partner with the decisions that Ashley makes in the dating process to accomplish that will. That Ashley is gonna have to make choices when she's dating that's going to impact the rest of her life. Does this young man love the Lord? Does he love his family well? Do we get along? Are we compatible? Will he be kind to me? Does he forgive? Is this someone that I can follow that that will lead me well? Is this someone that models a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? And she's going to have to determine these things. And if she makes choices that are contrary to what God would have for her, she's going to reap consequences in her life as a result of that decision. And here's what I would say. There's a tension here. There's a tension that we live in between God is sovereign and we have a will, we can make choices. It's said this way, that we live in the convergence between two rivers. God's sovereignty and our will, and that water can be murky sometimes, but that's where we have to say, God, you're in control, I'm not, your ways are higher than mine. But what the Bible teaches clearly is that we're gonna give an account for the decisions we make and God is in control We're not robots. Um, Here's the second reason why this isn't a right view of God's will is this position leads to chaos, is that this position leads to chaos. So, So here's a question. If God's will is this very specific dot and I've got to find it and I've got to land right on it, what happens when I fall off of God's will? Can I ever get back on? Like, like, can we be honest at church? How many of you would say, man, I probably made some choices in my life that were outside of God's will for me? Okay, so all of us have. Can we ever get back onto God's will? Or let's talk about it this way. So say God in his plan had destined my wife Mary to marry someone else. She was supposed to marry someone that she went to school with in third grade. But Mary didn't follow God's will and she married me. Okay, guess what that means? That means that there's some other woman out there that isn't following God's will because I was supposed to marry her, then she's going to marry someone else and screw that guy's life up. And then the guy in the third grade class was supposed to marry Mary, he's going to marry someone else. And let's not even talk about our kids. Our kids aren't even supposed to exist, so they're going to mess everything up, right? Like you see how this spirals into chaos really, really quickly? It leads to chaos. It's not a dot. God is way more concerned about the person we're becoming than the destination we arrive at. Here's the second wrong view, and I think this one's even more popular in the church. It's this, that God's will is subjective and it's found in isolation. That God's will, it's this subjective voice in my heart and I'm the only one in control of what it says and I've got to discover it myself and the highest authority in my life is this feeling I have that God is speaking to me. This is someone who orders their life by saying, well, God told me to do this and God told me to do that and God has told me to do this and I'm just following this voice that's in my heart. 
All right, now look here. Does God speak to people today still? Can God through his spirit communicate to us? Absolutely. I absolutely believe that. I could tell you stories where this has happened in my life. I remember being at camp one time and a girl in youth group came to camp. She was a senior. She'd never been to youth group before. She'd just shown up at camp and God was like, Cal, you need to go talk to this girl. There's these specific issues going on in her heart and she's gonna give her life to me this week and I need you to help unravel these things and begin the conversation. It's not gonna happen for a couple days, but it's happening. And there was like this confidence in, in, in that. And I went and talked to this girl and the very things I knew from the Lord were going on in her life were actually going on in her life. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. God can absolutely do that. But listen, it's not normative and it's not wise to order your life and live your life only on this voice in your heart that's telling you what to do. And here's a couple reasons why. The first reason is, is because your heart lies to you. Your heart lies to you. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Like, isn't that crazy to think that your heart will tell you lies? That what you think is the best thing or the right thing or, or what God is telling you to do, it might actually be lying? That you might not know what is best for your life and you might be blind and deceiving yourself to actually walk in to sin? All right, do me a favor. Can you turn to the person next to you and just tell them your heart is a liar? <laughs> right, I hear a lot of nervous giggling because it's weird to think about, right? We want to believe that, that we're good inside of us. And ultimately, the reason we do bad things, it's because of out, like outside external pressures or forces. But what the Bible says is, no, 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 your heart is sick. And sometimes I don't know what's best for me. So if I isolate everyone and just live on my gut... I'm going to be deceived by my own heart. It's a humbling thing to say. So here's the question. How do I know if I'm, not, if I'm being deceived or not? If I feel like the Lord has laid something on my heart, how do I know that I'm not being lied to? I have a friend who's a pastor and um, super wise person, and he said it this way, and I really, really loved it. He goes, listen, the spirit of God is like a river that always flows between two banks. And on one bank is God's word, and on the other bank is godly authority. And so the spirit can move and it can bend and it can tell you things and communicate, but it's never gonna flow outside of those things. So here's what that means, that, that whatever God is telling you in your heart, it's never gonna go against what God has already said in his word. God's never gonna tell you to sin. God's never gonna add anything to scripture or to his gospel. Now, can he give you wisdom? Can he help you in situations? Yes, but it's never gonna go contrary to what God has already established. It's final, it's true, it's unchanging. So when we feel like God is leading us somewhere, the first thing we should do is, does this align with what he's told us in his word? And then the second thing is, is does it align with the authority God has placed in our lives? Right, like I've talked to high schoolers who have been like, hey, Cal, I need you to help me. Uh, there's this boy that likes me and he loves the Lord and he goes to youth group and he's super sweet and, and he's like the exact kind of guy that I would like to marry someday. He's godly. I think he's amazing. There's nothing wrong with him in the entire universe because that's what every girl thinks when they first you know, meet a guy that likes them. And, uh, and they're like, I just have one problem. I'm only 16 years old and my folks said I can't date till I'm 17. But that's really stupid because I can already drive and I've got a job and I don't need to, you know, I can pay to go on dates. Like, I think it's a stupid rule. What should I do? 
And I'm like, that's easy. You need to obey your parents. God has placed them as an authority over your life. You need to honor them and you need to respect them and you need to not be miserable in the process. You can talk to them about it, but ultimately you need to come under their authority. I talked just a couple weeks ago with a woman in our church and she goes, Cal, um, it was right after we showed the video of John and Jesse Workman who've been involved in the foster care system in our community. John's an elder at our church. We played a video where they're giving their testimony and I had someone approach me like, Cal, I really feel like my heart is being led to, to do foster care. I resonated with that video. It breaks my heart that there are people in our community growing up without parents. I wanna be a light for the gospel in this way. But she said, the problem is, is my husband's not on board yet and he's still wrestling with it. What should I do? Like, I really feel strongly about this. And I told her, I said, you know what? I would pray that if this is what God is calling you to, that God would change your husband's heart. Like you for sure don't wanna go into a decision like this where you're not on the same page. Fostering is going to be difficult enough. And what I would say is, is if this is what you believe that God is calling you to, pray that you can be unified together, that you guys can step into this on the same page and don't move until you guys' hearts are aligned. Trust the Lord in that. I remember once I was talking to a pastor who was about six or seven years younger than me and a young pastor working at a different church. And he came to me and he was really, really frustrated with his church. And he's like, Cal, I'm on the staff and I'm not uh, in charge of much. And he goes, I'm just frustrated with how we're doing ministry. And I think we could be doing things so much better. And I've got these visions for our church and I've got these dreams for our church, but I'm not in a position of authority to effectuate these things. And I just warned him. I'm like, listen, you need to honor the authorities God has placed in your life. You've got a senior pastor who you report to. Don't speak negatively about him. Don't usurp him. Don't go against him. You've got deacons or elders that are in authority in your church. Honor and respect those authorities, and God's either going to move, and you can be part of the change, or God might move you somewhere else. But what I know you're not called to do is to be discontent where you are. Serve as best as you can under the guidelines and restrictions you've been given. That's God's will for you. Um, here's the second reason this is a wrong view. It's this. It's because fast decisions are often bad decisions. Fast decisions are often bad decisions. And if I could be humble right now, I would say um, that in the last five years, the thing that God has had to work on me the most and break me of the most is this issue right here. Um, I'm just gonna be honest and say, I'm not a patient person. Like no one has ever met Cal with sin and be like, wow, he's great. He's such a patient guy. Right? Like no one's ever said that about me. And the way I'm wired, it's like if I see an issue or something that needs to change, like let's go have the hard conversation. Let's go fix it. Let's go change it. Let's go, you know, take this hill. Let's go after it. And what I have to learn is a lot of times I can just make fast decisions on my own. And um, sometimes my gut's just wrong. Sometimes I don't have all the information. Sometimes I lack wisdom. And so what I've had to really do and what God's done in my heart over these past few, few years is, man, Cal, you got to slow down. And you have to actually pray about things. Like, I think we can be really good at saying, yeah, I'll pray about that. But actually sitting and setting aside time and praying and sitting in that um, dissonance, it's hard. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek godly counsel. Um, that's been huge for me. And here's what I would encourage you. Make sure you have people in your life who love you enough to disagree with you. Like, that's really important that all voices aren't created equal. 
And if you've only ever surrounded with people who will affirm you and tell you what you want to hear and agree with what you've already decided, that's going to run you into issues. Like there's people in my life where every time I talk to them, it's like, oh man, I can't believe I got to talk to them because they're just going to push back and disagree with me. But after the conversation, I'm always so thankful for it because God's using that to sharpen me. Um, some of the dangers of this view were, were that it's this gut feeling and it's found in isolation. Um, it, it, you can actually use this to be really manipulative and hurt people. Like I went to Bible college and at Moody Bible Institute, here's what would happen like every semester. There'd be a new girl that would come into school and she'd be really pretty and some loser guy would go up to her and be like, hey, uh, God told me that we should get married. God, God told me that, that we're, you know, we're gonna date and I, and I think you're gonna be my future wife. And like, you see what he's just done? Now he's just saying, if you reject me, you've rejected God himself. Like, that's a really crummy thing to do to a poor girl. You know what I mean? Like, it can get very, very manipulative and you've cut off conversation. Because like, God told me he's the ultimate trump card. And you've just shut out people who would maybe speak into your life or push back. All right, look at verse 18. Paul's gonna continue. Here's what he says. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so what Paul does here in these verses, he gives us a picture of what walking in God's will looks like. And I wanna look at these four verses, break them down, and we're gonna see four questions that we need to ask ourselves if, to determine whether or not we're walking in God's will. So four questions to help me know if I'm walking in God's will. Here's the first. Am I being responsible with what I've been given right now? Am I being responsible with what I've been given right now? Look at verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And isn't it interesting that right after he talks about God's will and being careful, he moves right to drunkenness? All right, that's not an accident. He does it on purpose because here's the thing. When you're drunk, you're not making responsible choices. You're not living in wisdom, right? No one's ever been like, hey, let's go get wasted so we can make amazing choices tonight, right? Like when you're drunk, you live very reactively. You lash out. You make decisions you wouldn't otherwise make. You're not in control. You're being controlled by a substance, and what he's saying is, listen, we need to make sure we're living in control and we're, we're responsible with the things the Lord has given us right now. Like, you know that all of us have been given things by the Lord that we're called to honor him with and be responsible with, right? Some of that's relationships. Like, all of us have a family and I have a wife and I have children and I have in-laws and I've got a mother-in-law and a father-in-law and I've got a mom and dad and I'm called to honor and respect and I'm called to lead and I'm called to model Christ and I'm called to influence my kids for the Lord. Like there's a lot of things just in the area of family that I'm called to be responsible with. And then I look at work and I've got people who report to me who I'm supposed to give counsel to and wisdom to and lead in a way where I'm a servant leader. And then I also have elders who are, are over me and I'm called to honor them and submit to them and communicate with them well and respect them. Like there's a lot of things in my work relationship I'm responsible for. And, and here's what I would say, and I need you to listen to me right now. Um, the right now, is really, really important when we talk about being responsible. And here's why. One of the number one lies Satan loves to tell you is because you failed in the past, you can't be faithful right now and today. 
And what Satan would love for you to do right now is to look back on all of the failures you've had in your past and be like, man, everything's too broken. I can't fix it. And therefore, I'm just going to sit and not do anything and repeat the same cycle over and over and over again. It's a lie. Like, listen, if you're here and your marriage is a wreck and you're like, man, I have not been a godly influence in my children's life and now they're older and I don't know if I'm even at a place where I can't have influence anymore. Listen, start today. Trust God with that. Pull your kids aside and say, hey, listen, I want to apologize for some things. There's some areas in your life where growing up, I wasn't there for you. Forgive me, I want to be there. And will it be a little bit awkward at first? Yeah, probably. And will your kids be like, dad, what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. Sure, but God will honor that. On the way home today, grab your wife's hand and say, hey, listen, we haven't been in a good place, but I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church, and I'm going to be there for you, and we're going to fix this, and I'm with you, and I'm here for you. You can talk to me. And might there be some pain and confession and repentance that needs to happen? Sure, but the Lord will honor that. If you look at your work relationship and you're like, I haven't been a good employee, and I don't submit, and I talk bad, and my attitude's back, you can change that today. You can walk in God's will today. I can't fix the past. I'm not in control of the future, but I'm empowered by God's spirit to live faithfully today. We have to believe that. God's gonna honor our obedience when we trust him in the moment. We've been given relationships to steward. We've been given talents to steward. Um, you know that the people that come here and lead worship for you, um, you know, before I come and preach, you know they get here at like 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday and they stay till after 7 o'clock and then they get back here at about 7.30 in the morning and then they don't leave till after 1 o'clock? Like these people, these volunteers, they give up their entire weekend basically. Like what would cause someone to do that? Well, they love you and they want to serve you and they love the Lord and they want to honor him with the gifts and talents they've been given. I think it's an awesome thing. We've been given resources and, and money and, and, and hobbies. Like there's a ton of things we can be responsible with right now. Do not get drunk on, with wine for that is debauchery. Here's the second one. The second thing we need to ask ourselves is, am I actually growing? Am I actually growing? It says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And what Paul is saying is, is, don't let alcohol be the thing that controls you, but there's a better thing that should control your life, and that is the Spirit of God, which is transforming us to make us more like Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says it this way. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? How clear is that? You want to know what God's will for your life is? Is that you would grow in sanctification, meaning becoming more like Jesus that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying, listen, you wanna know what God wants from you? He wants you to grow in your faith to become more like Jesus. Remember, God's way more about the person you're becoming than the destination you arrive at. God's will is that we would put to death the sin in our lives that I would be less selfish, 
that my world would revolve less around me and more around others, that I would be slower to speak, that when I'm angry, I would fight more fairly and more kindly, and I would love well, even in disagreement, that my heart would be less bitter, that, that I would be um, quicker to show grace and quicker to turn the other cheek and quick, quicker to, to love others well that I would be quicker to say, you know what? My life is about serving others, not living for the glory of my own name, that I wouldn't be as concerned with what all of you think about me, and I would be more concerned with honoring Christ day in, day out. This is God's will for all of us, that we would actually grow to become more like Jesus. And here's my concern. I think we as Christians, we're really, really good at talking about growing to be like Christ. I think we're really good at reading books that tell us how to be like Christ. And I think there's this danger that we can sit in this place where we know that we're supposed to be like Christ, that we know what that even looks like, and yet years can go by and we don't ever actually become more like Jesus. So can I press in and ask some tough questions? Here's one. Do you know what your weaknesses are? Like, do you know what your sin bends are? Do you know what the things are that trip you up over and over again? If you're unclear, just ask someone in your family, they'll happily tell you, right? <laughs> Like others know, you're not fooling everyone. Here's the question. Do you care to grow in those things? Or do you just excuse it and justify it and are comfortable with it? Or is it like, man, no, no, no. This is wickedness in my heart that I want to put to death. These are the things that are keeping me from joy and fulfillment in relationships. These are the things that are hurting me. I want to have victory. Uh, just this week, I... Um, sat down with my wife and we put the kids to bed and there wasn't really a show or anything on TV to watch. So we sat down and just kind of had a conversation and I said, hey, Mayor, how am I doing as a dad? Like, am I engaged right now? Like, do, would, the kids, if, would the kids actually say that, man, dad loves me and he cares for me? Like, like how am I doing? And how am I doing as your husband? And, and listen, we have to have the humility to sit down with those closest and say, Am I doing all right? Am I in a good place? What are you seeing in me? Where am I off? I want to be more like Jesus Christ. I don't want to sit in the same sin patterns over and over again that are destroying my heart. Am I actually growing? Here's the third one. And I, am I engaged in the family of God? Am I engaged in the family of God? Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Then look down at verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, and here's what some of you are thinking. It says we're supposed to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so we're like, this is too far, Cal. I'm not singing to people at church. Like I'll sing to God with everyone, but if I'm supposed to like sing to people in the lobby, life's not a musical, I'm not doing it, all right? Uh, please don't, that would be weird. Um, Maybe only the campus pastor has to, Craig. Maybe he's got to sing to everyone. That'll be kind of the one rule we make. But no, here's what he's saying. When he says this idea of singing songs to one another, he's talking about the position of our heart, that there should be a joy and gladness in our relationships with one another, that we should desire to have relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should desire to know them and love them and help them and support them. And then 21's where it gets really, really difficult, that we should also submit to one another. You know what that means? That means if someone does something that I disagree with or if someone speaks into my life, even if I think they're wrong, I'm gonna honor their view and what they're saying and I'm not just gonna dismiss it and buck against it because it makes me uncomfortable. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another 
in showing honor. Um, can we have some real talk at church right now? We give up on each other really easily, don't we? We give up on each other really easily. And I think we're really good as Christians. We can play nice when everything's going well. And when the water's smooth, when, when there's not hard conversations that need to be had, we're really good at hanging out and talking about hobbies and, and loving each other and, and playing nice. Um, but when it gets real and, and when people challenge us or speak into our lives, we're so quick to bounce, are we? Hey, I don't like that you said that. I don't like that you press in on that thing. I'm going to find a better small group who's more loving and I'm going to bad talk you to everyone I come in contact with on the way out. Right? Or if the church presses in on something that, that, that I don't like or I, I don't agree with, or if I'm feeling too strong of conviction, you know what? I'm just going to go find another church because there's 25 other churches in the community and it's easy for me to do that. All right, now listen, there are for sure right times to leave a church. And even me as a pastor, I, I, I've told people that have attended here, listen, there's just some things that we don't align with. And you're gonna, if you come here, you're going to continue to be frustrated. Here's a list of some other great churches. Go check them out and be a part of them because I want you to be thriving in your faith and it's not happening here. Like there's right times to leave, but here's my fear is that there's a lot of people in this community that you've just gotten really good at bouncing from church to church, place to place, season to season, and you've never engaged. You've never stuck your neck out there. You've never got skin in the game. And it's because at the end of the day, you wanna do what you wanna do and are unwilling to submit both to God and to the family of God. Like everyone talks about right now, man, church should really feel more like a family. You know, families get really, really messy. <laughs> And they say stuff you don't like to hear. And it can get awkward and tense, but because we love each other, we hang in there with each other. That's what it means to be the family of God. Listen, following Jesus is more than just listening to messages and singing songs. We actually live out our faith. We actually love, we actually grow when we engage with the messiness and commit to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the good seasons and in the bad seasons. Then here's the last question we need to ask ourselves is this, am I thankful? Am I thankful? Look at verse 20. It says, in giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that Paul, when he talks about God's will, talks about thankfulness here, because here's what he's saying. He's saying that we need to live in light of the gospel and everything that God has done for us. Like church, look at me. When you wake up in the morning, and the first thing that crosses your mind is, man, you know what, today I've been given another day of life and that's a gift from the Lord. And that God has called me by name. Today I'm his child. He has forgiven me. He saved me. He's redeemed me. His spirit lives in me right now and he's working all things together for my good and his glory. That no matter what happens today, good, bad, or indifferent, nothing can change the fact that I'm a child of God. And by the way, we didn't deserve any of that. But God, in his love for us, while we were yet sinners, sent his only son to die a murderer's death, a criminal's death on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And not only that, but then God gives us his will. Here's what it looks like to walk in life and joy and freedom. And then I'm gonna give you a family who's gonna walk alongside you. You're not alone. You have people who love you and care for you and are with you on the journey. Right, if I wake up in the morning and that's the lens I view through my life, can I be anything but thankful? Right, Paul says we ought to be thankful in everything because people who are thankful in everything, they're people who get the gospel. So let me ask you this, are you a thankful person? 
When you come home from work and people ask you how to work go, do you focus on the two things that went terrible or the eight ways God showed up and was kind? What's your mindset like? Because it's not God's will for you to live life through the lens of disappointment or selfishness or, or, or dissatisfaction with everyone around you. Anything going on in our life, when compared to God's goodness to us, it doesn't even begin to measure up. Let's live our life through the lens of the gospel and how good God is, amen? All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you for this time. I just thank you for your word. Um, God, I'm thankful for um, just tough questions that we need to ask ourselves. And God, I just pray right now, um, through your spirit, would you really um, help us wrestle with these questions? God, we don't wanna be a church that talks about growing and talks about living for you and have that not ever really happen. We wanna see that in our life. So God, would you convict us of areas in our life where we need to change? God, would we engage joyfully with one another? Would you help us with that? Would we be more and more thankful? Would we be responsible with the things you've called us to steward and trust you with the outcomes? We love you and we need you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.